Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 30% off your new account for three months, just go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code Squarespace13. This week on TWIP, Scott Bourne joins us with some hands-on Lytro feedback, photography news from CES 2012, and Adobe backtracks on its CS6 upgrade pricing policy. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. It's a very special show today. We got a little blast from the past that I uh, did some Jedi mind trick on and got him to agree to come on the show. Mr. Scott Bourne is joining us along with Martin Bailey and Ron Brinkman. We've got four legs at the table today. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. <laughs> hey. All right. Let, let's start with Scott. I always start with a person that hasn't been on in a while. And I think, Scott, last time you were on was, uh, I think Clinton was in office? What? 1953. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, I mean, I, give us the Reader's I, Digest of what you've been up to in the last, I don't know, what, three years, two years? Oh, I've been on. I don't remember last time I was on. Well, I've moved to Vegas. Um, I, I, I have... Uh, relocated this direction and where there is sunshine yep i now have vitamin d in my body you're in the desert come on you're in the desert (laughs) (laughs) the high desert i'm enjoying uh the weather here and and uh, my race car hobby is in full force since there are two different race facilities 45 minutes either way from me and just having a grand old time built a nice little studio project studio where i do some private work and teaching in and and you know just hanging out very cool. All right. Well, it's good. To, it's good to hear your voice. Miss you. Twip misses you. I'm. I'm sure there are many in the forums who are going to have a comment about my return. <laughs> <laughs> if you have anything to say about Scott, keep it to yourself. No. <laughs> oh, feel free. I just won't see it. Yeah, he's, Scott. Scott will just turn a blind eye to your comment. Uh, also on the show is Mr. Martin Bailey. Hey, Martin, welcome back. Good. Well, I was going to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, gentlemen. And everybody. Just, say, just say good day. It'll be the universal. Good day. Good day. Good day, chap. Especially with your accent, you're allowed to say good day. Okay. <laughs> good day. <laughs> and that's that's an Englishman doing an impression of an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's been going on in your world? I know you uh, you had a couple things that we're going to talk about in the body of the show, but anything else uh, going on noteworthy in the in Japan in the Martin Bailey universe? Oh, I've uh, I've just been um, you know plenty of stuff going off. I, on a personal note, I I did go back for my six month checkup after having that pesky tumor removed six months ago. Nice. Um, we had an MRI last Saturday and found that the bit that was left is pretty much gone. There's just a little slithered of All tissue. Right. Left. So I'm yeah, no more pressure in the brain, so I, I can be crazy legally now. That's great. What a way to start the 2012 season, right? Absolutely. Very relieved. Yeah. That's good. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And also on the show, as I mentioned, is Mr. Ron Brinkman, fresh off of some junket to some corner of the world. Hey, Ron. (laughs) Hey, good to be here. Good to be back. Yeah, I was uh, doing a little 
holiday. You did a little, little uh, no-shoe walking around where? You were in Indonesia? Where were you? No, no, I was in uh, Jordan and Egypt. And then... Um, On purpose? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's a good time to go to Egypt. But uh, the place is not nearly as crowded as it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. Uh, wow. Had, so tell exactly me, well, how was that, Rod? I mean, what, what, what's uh, your takeaway? Was it worth it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Jordan. Jordan was great. Uh, Jordan is probably the most sort of modern, calm country in the Middle East, so that was fine. Um, you know, uh, and Petra, which was sort of the whole reason to go to Jordan, is just you know, put on your Indiana Jones hat and uh, go crawl around in just an amazing place. I mean, it was it was better than I had hoped, and I had high expectations, but it's just this really big, beautiful place. You got photos to show for this adventure. I got some. I hadn't even had a chance to get them on the computer and look at it, so we'll see. And did that camera turn up wrong? Uh, we, oh, the one I had ordered for yeah, uh, yeah. No, I said those that that didn't hear that show. I was contemplating going going over to Micro Four Thirds and uh, and doing everything uh, with a Micro Four Thirds camera on this trip, and it didn't. I had ordered the new Panasonic GX one, I guess, as my my starter camera. And it was delayed and it didn't ship. And at some point, I realized I needed to kind of, you know, because I would have had to not only get the camera, but obviously buy a set of lenses. And at some point, I realized that it just was getting too close to the end. So, wow. Just went back with the old reliable Canon. Um, actually, instead of my, my older uh, 40D, I borrowed my sister's uh, Rebel, the new, new Rebel. And, uh, you know, it was fine. Very comfortable, easy to. You gonna post the shots online for the world to see, or are you gonna uh, keep it to yourself? Uh, you know the usual. It'll take me weeks to wade through them all. And you gotta let them marinate on your hard drive for a year or so before you start editing. <laughs> right. Exactly. So yeah. So Jordan was great, and then Egypt was uh, Egypt was was um, um, challenging. Now Egypt, Egypt was fun, but it's it's a wacky place. But I never felt like unsafe, even though they've had obviously the revolution, which are coming up on the one year anniversary. Uh, and some more recent stuff. There was really not a whole lot going on. You know, the the protests in in Tahrir Square are generally scheduled ahead of time, and that's usually where all the problems come up. So the locals just kind of know what days to avoid it. And so as long as you're kind of aware of what's going on, nice. most of the time we need, it's business. We need to get on that. We need to get on that uh, that train. Scheduled anarchies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, you know, guys, there, we have a lineup in the show notes. I know you guys have seen it, but I was talking to Scott Bourne before we clicked the record button, and he mentioned that he has some experience with this new Lytro camera that we actually, that I actually interviewed the Lytro founder got on the show before, but Scott had had a chance to actually hold the thing in his hand. So Scott. Now, you know, when I when I talked to the guys, the technology and it just seemed magical, like they were somehow they managed somehow to bend the laws of physics and light and photons and all that stuff to allow you to capture like images in in a 3D space rather than just on a plane. How is it in actual use? Everything you just said is true. Plus, no. Oh. <laughs> all right. Go for so, it. Tell me. So let's work backwards. Have you seen the holodeck on Star Trek. Yes, <laughs> I have seen the holodeck. So I am not kidding when I tell you these guys have a holodeck projector. Hmm. In right, real go life. On. Go on. Uh, and this technology, uh, I mean, most of the people I hear talking about it don't have, don't, don't get it. I mean, you have to stop thinking about this in terms of regular cameras because it's just not a regular camera. Nothing regular about it. It's it's not really in a form that the typical twip 
listener is going to care about right now. Twip, you know, Twip listeners are looking for you know the next 5D Mark II or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a technology more than it is a camera, and I'd say version two, certainly version three, will start to get to the point where you know we care about it in that regard. But the technology is important right now because it's a whole new way of thinking, and very young, smart, creative types are going to do some wild stuff with this camera because it really does. I mean, Ron Brinkman's favorite two words, nodal point, <laughs> get to come into play here. And you get to do stuff that just blows my mind. Like, for instance, let's say you take a picture and you're going, hmm, I wonder what it would have happened if I'd taken two steps to the left. Well, you can just do that without actually taking two steps to the left. But and how you are you doing actually- that, though? I mean, how I, that, that's what I'm trying to – I can understand. Like when I was talking to the, the, the founders, um, I think Eric in particular – he was right. he was explaining the light field technology as kind of a instead of capturing a plane like I said it's ca- capturing a box like ray tracing when you're doing right. 3D rendering and it just traces the rays of light and all that but it's doing that real time but if how is it how are you going to be able to step to the left if it can't see what's to the left <laughs> well i i have i have done tons of research on this i've literally spent months studying this and I'm not known for being the most technical amongst us, especially when Ron Brinkman's on the show, but I do know (laughs) the secret, and it's simple. It's magic. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Actually, what they do is it's all in the software. They project what they think would happen if you took two steps to the left. And the other cool thing is is that this is – the software is going to be turned on in stages, and what everybody's talking about now is sort of like – a red herring, the whole post-focus thing. That's what everybody's all up in arms about. Yeah, But that's really just the beginning. Once you've taken a photograph with this camera, as they turn on more features, it'll just be native in the photograph. So, for instance, right now they demonstrated for me 3D. They can do 3D right now. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to turn that on in version one. Like like stereoscopic Viewmaster 3D or 3D like 3D? 3D yeah. like you go to see at the big movie theater 3D. Oh, yeah. It's it's Fair really enough. you know and they dem- now here's the coolest thing they did and and I, I just still can't believe I saw this but I mean we're all familiar with the concept of time lapse mm-hmm. and they can do time lapse with this this camera but what they did was they set up a series of lanterns and they numbered them and then they turned them on one by one and then they did a time lapse which followed the lanterns coming on which is no big deal any camera could do that except. When they played that back, they had the focus shift in time as well to each lantern as it came on. Hmm. Top that. Now, what about sharpness? The, the, the thing that I – so looking at the Lytro page and kind of playing around and clicking through their examples there, I, it does, the, when you click on, on, a, on a point in an image to bring it into focus, it doesn't feel like it's tack sharp. Now, in, in practice, is it, are the focused images tack sharp? It looks sharp to me, but I'm not a pixel peeper, so I'm yeah. not I'm not there it's, with the Hubble telescope trying to find out if there's any pixelization. But the the thing is, the first thing you have to understand that's so different about this is that you no longer think in terms of sharpness; you think in terms of unsharpness. Hmm. For this technology to work, Frederick, you actually have to get something out of focus in the picture. Hmm. It's completely. It's completely. I think I can handle that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to make the comment that comes to mind. I'm just going to let it go. But I'm just going to say that it's completely counterintuitive. We no longer think in terms of depth of field, but rather spatial planes. And here's the really bizarre thing. The camera is F2. It's a fixed aperture. And 
so you can click someplace and like have a face come in focus, but you can click someplace else and everything's in focus, even though it's F2. Hmm. It, it's just going to require a lot this of people. This is changing. To like you said, it's magic. It's, it's, it's bending the laws of physics. At some Where point, I, it's going to get a ticket. I see yeah. what's going to happen is there are going to be some multimedia applications here. You know, we're going to see stuff like major, you know, Minority Report with Tom Cruise in real life. Yeah. Or, or think of the, uh, the opening scenes of Blade Runner where there's all these 3D spatial images that people are interacting with. This is the technology that's going to bring that to us. And I just, I'll close by saying that you know, all the photographers I know that are worried about this because they think it's going to make them irrelevant should stop worrying because I'll tell you, for this to work well, you have to be a better photographer than you are today. Now, Ron Brinkman, you wrote the book on digital imaging called Digital. Com- what is it? Digital composting. <laughs> yes. Digital I was going to say compositing, but I know that's wrong, right? <laughs> no, that is right. Compositing. Um, yeah, I, you know, Lightfield uh, Technologies has been around for a while, and it's very cool to see somebody that's actually implemented it sort of a, a commercial level thing. I mean, there, there's been industrial applications of this and dealing with machine vision. But, yeah, I mean, everything Scott is talking about is is very true in terms of the possibilities for what it can be. You know, it, the Lytro camera is interesting because, um, I mean, at some level, you, you get nothing for free. So some of the things you asked about with, with sort of sharpness and all that, mm-hmm. you are trading off resolution to capture this because basically it's using whatever size sensor it has in there. You know, certain pixels are getting devoted to certain depth planes as you're taking it. And I believe the Lytro camera takes something like 10 slices. So even if you've got, you know, a, a 10 megapixel sensor in there, for example, and it may have more, you know, you're kind of only dedicating, you know, a megapixel for each kind of depth slice. So, so there's limitations there. But, you know, again, this is just a early days kind of stuff on that. Does that, does that mean that this technology, and I'll throw this to everybody out there, does this mean that this technology is going to be relegated to consumer point-and-shoot cameras? Or are we going to see it? In, in the high end, one. like people that are shooting fashion shoots and that sort of thing. Just in version one, Frederick. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, there there are plenty of ways you can do. You, know, you can make larger sensors. You can use multiple sensors to get this kind of stuff. I mean, I think at some level you're you're going to see. Lightroom made the decision to put one large sensor inside of it with a specialized sort of um, micro array of lenses in front of it, but. You know, the other route that I actually expect you're going to see something fairly soon, if somebody handed me a bucket of money, that's probably what I'd be developing right now, would be a scenario where you have multiple sensors with multiple lenses on it and doing the same thing. Because it's really just about capturing uh, information from sort of more than one position, more than one viewpoint. It's, you know, it's kind of what you do with the stereo camera, only extended to being an array of cameras instead. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about it in that that video I put up a few weeks back of sort yeah. of the future of photography. But, yeah, it's it's so clear to me that this computational photography is really where everything's going to be going. And it's really cool to see this, you know, a, a company that's kind of bringing it to the mainstream and uh, all the stuff you can kind of do with it. It's We've been doing a lot of this stuff in visual effects for years, but using really expensive setups and totally custom software. And, you know, it was all kind of purpose-built solutions to solve specific problems. So it's finally kind of getting to the to be a mainstream sort of thing, and I think the bottom line is, yeah, it's going to really change the way that photographers work. But ultimately, it's going to be about, um, I mean, two things. It, it's going to certainly still be about you know having the eye, but I think it's also going to be a continuation of this push we're already seeing, where so much of your time is so much more of your time is being spent at a post process as opposed to 
an on the you know on the location on set kind of a capture. Yeah. Now, Martin Martin Bailey. So you're when you go out in the field, say you're you're leading works up in Japan or something. Do you? And I know you're a fan of like full on manual mode, manual focus, everything on your camera. Do you mm. see a world where the, where a Lytro technology might fit into what you're doing? Oh, for sure. I think that. Um I, I obviously I've not got anywhere near as much information on this or ability to understand this as Ron and Scott, but I I can certainly see me standing at the side of a of a field with some some of the Japanese red crown cranes and just capturing a, a segment of space and then later on you know panning through the shot and going up and focusing on the on the one uh, one of the the cranes and then switching over to the back to another and creating a kind of a video that would um you know really take you into the scene and rather than just sort of show it you from one perspective but i uh, i i think it's it's very exciting um i, I think the I, I just was reminded when ron said about the multiple lenses was it adobe a few years ago that that demoed a prototype of a lens that looked a little bit like a fly's eye it got mm -hmm. yeah. lots of yeah that yeah. that was i remember seeing that and being blown away but the the big thing that really sort of you know i, mean, I couldn't Im have imagined that being stuck on the front of a camera um mm -hmm. but then when the lightro guys came out with this you know what looks essentially like a an old um kaleidoscope you know it, it's like oh you know, okay it's become simple it's become there's doable. only two buttons on it yeah, 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 and one of them so. is actually redundant. <laughs> there's an really? on-off. Yeah, there's an on-off switch, and there's a shutter button. But they told me if you want, you can turn it on just by touching the shutter button, which caused me to say, "So why is there the other button?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just there in is case it's a spare tire. There's a touch-sensitive <laughs> membrane on top that acts as a zoom. Right, but, but there's no actual button. Now, Scott, you know, you're, you've shot in video and in your, in past careers, you're really deep into video. How do you think this kind of technology is going to affect folks like Red and now Canon with their new high-end digital, uh, video SLRs? Well, I'll tell you, that's where I actually am most excited about it. Because if you've tried to use follow focus on a 5D Mark II shot, <laughs> then you yeah. know how hard it is to pull focus on these cameras. That's where this is going to come in handy because I'm out there photographing eagles flying 35 miles an hour up in Alaska, and there's no do-overs. Right, right. You know, when, you know, so this technology will eventually probably become more prevalent in video first because then you'll be able to adjust focus there. But the other thing I want to say is, you know, Alex Lindsay said something online the other day that struck me. I don't know how right he is, but it sounds cool. He said content used to be king, now community's king. If that's true, where the Lytro really is going to help prove that out is that their vision for the camera is very different than I think any of ours would be. Their vision is for people to create these interactive photographs. So I post the, you can post everything to Facebook with one button from the software. Mm. I'm sort of maybe giving something away I'm not supposed to, but that, that's the way it can work. You can just post it right to Facebook. Now, you free it goes to Facebook wherever you've selected the focus point as the photographer. Let's say all four of us are in a picture. Frederick's up front. Uh, you know, and because all the girls like him, I click on him to make him in focus. Nice. And then the I like rest that. Of us, I like that scenario. Okay. <laughs> and the rest of us are in the background. But then somebody with good taste comes along on Facebook and says, <laughs> I would rather see Scott or Ron or Martin in focus. They can click that actual photograph and change the focal point so that you have this real community interaction with the image. Now, as a photographer, that makes me both excited and creeped out. 
Because people can change your work. But you can, can you lock that? Can you say? You can lock that. uh, But the point is, they don't think people are going to want to because they see this technology being used for mashups and rolled into all kinds of other, you know, multimedia things. And I think, you know, where the real excitement is going to come. You know, after we've had the, the pixel people, peepers and the measure beaters get online and talk about this because their buddy Bob knows a girl named Sue whose boyfriend Tom walked by a bookstore that had an article in it. <laughs> We're going to find out that really smart young creatives are going to do stuff with this we never thought of. And Lytro thinks that they're going to do stuff they've never thought of. And that's when it's going to really take off. What do you what do you what do you think? And I'll tell all you guys. This is a group conversation. What do you think about the what this technology will do to like Nikon, for example, that has invested billions of dollars into their glass works to make, you know, refining these lenses that are just amazing. Do you think this is going to, you know, pour concrete on that whole facility? No, I, I think that, you know, these companies, it, it really depends on are they going to be able to move fast enough to, to react to some of this? Because, you know, ultimately it's still about having quality glass, right? And the, the Lytro camera is absolutely, you know, limited in a lot of ways in terms of being able to take the absolute best photos, uh, depending on how you define best. Well, it's and, like you know, a $400 it, camera. It's not Yeah, intended. exactly, exactly. So, you know, there, there's nothing to stop uh, Canon or, or Nikon from coming up with some different sort of multi-lens array that uses, you know, their expertise to produce an excellent lens, an excellent sensor behind it. Um, it's, I, I do wonder sort of where, where are the patent holdings on all this and how much is some of this stuff going to be locked up by, let me by just chime issues. in there. Cause that was my first question. Mm-hmm. So here's the deal. These folks got $50 million in their series a, it was oversubscribed in like 15 minutes mm-hmm. and you don't get $50 million off Sand Hill road unless you've got your IP locked up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's probably true. I mean, they, these guys came out of Stanford, and, and Stanford actually has some IP on it, and then they, they license uh, license some of this stuff as well. So I, I think they're probably sitting pretty. But, you know, the flip side of that is companies like Canon and Nikon have so you know such a portfolio themselves that there's a lot of kind well, you'll of probably see license it, Ron. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think that's right. And and uh, but it's you know it, it gets to this interesting kind of negotiations that always happen when two large patent portfolios are competing in the same space. Yeah. What about um, Scott? Back down to just sort of brass tacks. What about uh, post processing flow? So in the future, when this is sort of a mainstream technology, and we see it show up in Lightroom. What? How do you envision it working? There's a slider there where I can, or a, a, I can just yeah, touch on an image to to focus it and then export my high res image. You know that way or what? Yeah, they do all the magic in the background. Basically, it's point and click. Hmm. You, you point at what you want in focus; it's in focus. Or you hit another button and the whole thing's in focus. Or you hit another button and it's time lapse. Or you hit another button; it's 3D. Remember, like I said, though, some of these features aren't going to be turned on in version one of the software. But uh, eventually, yeah, I think it'll just be a slider and aperture and Lightroom and everything else. And it's like everything new. There'll be a lot of hubbub about it. You know, it's like, oh, my God, HDR, you know, or yeah. oh, my God, digital. Uh, but it, it will work its way in where it's supposed to go. And, you know, there's still going to be people that, you know, prefer to shoot with film cameras and will never touch it. That's fine, too. I, I just I'm not you know I'm not claiming that you're going to want this Lytro camera and it's going to change your life. I am claiming that this technology is going to impact all of us sooner or later. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with that. I think it's it's going to be really interesting because I think that 
I mean, ultimately, this is much more about the software than the hardware. And you know, it's almost like you know, they, they, they built a camera that provides input to the software they're building. Uh, you know, having said that, there's no reason why other companies, be they Adobe or whoever, that would decide to jump on this and produce their own you know, type of tool that is designed to deal with these kind of deep field, you know, media-rich images. Uh, at some level, what you're doing is you're you're capturing a scene, right? You're just capturing a scene in, in a much more robust fashion than you've been able to in the past, much more information about the scene, the depth relationship of the objects in there. And once you have that much more rich scene capture uh, as a file, and you need a set of tools to manipulate that. So I think absolutely you're going to start to see you know, Photoshop's going to be able to recognize certain image types. There's there's a whole place of somebody's going to have to define what the standard for defining these images is. So or maybe this is the window for that new non Photoshop app to come up and I, I think so. Yeah, I think there's there's a low hanging fruit kind of opportunity there for some little startup companies who are much more nimble. And hey, bring, see friends. me after the show. I'll bring a bucket of money, and you can bring your brain, and we'll see what Dude, we can do. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, I, it's, it is absolutely <laughs> you more than a bucket. Come on, <laughs> no, it's, it's one of the things that I'm looking into because, like I said, it's it's clearly where where it's going. So it's uh, it's absolutely no, Scott, like like use case. So so uh, doing avian photography is kind of a use case for this because it's hard to keep birds in focus because they're birds, right? So if you're shooting, say, an eagle flying at, I don't know, some crazy speed and you got the this uber long lens on your camera, you're trying to track him, do you envision, like in your brain when you're shooting, say say you have the Lytro technology that's evolved and you're using on an SLR, um, do you just envision like a like a box around that object and just track the box through the sky and say anything in that box is i can i'll be able to focus it later like right now we have to focus on the highlight or something right right? or is that how it's going to work i i think i think not here's what i think we're going to do i think anybody in the audience who's ever done any 3d work is going to have a real jump on everybody else because you're going to think more like a 3d shooter when you're working with this technology. Mm-hmm. And that's the way – I mean there are some pictures I put up that the Lytro people took of me. And uh, it's – are, are they in focus? They, yeah, well, here's the thing. <laughs> they, they, you can move them around. And what the thing that was very instructive to me was the way they shot them. They had me hold a, an award I won up in front of my face. And so it created this more of a plane of interesting things so that you could focus on the near thing, the award, or it was a clear, crystal clear award, or you could shoot through it and see my face. That's, you know, people like Ron who've thought about 3D space are going to have a huge advantage with these kind of cameras because they're going to just natively know how to think about things in 3D, which is really what this is going to be more about than trying to pick a plane of focus. Yeah. yeah, I think the the picking the plane thing is they they, you know, they made a decision that was really a bit more of a marketing business decision than anything that that was sort of uh, a high value thing in terms of gee whiz that's cool, but I think most of the time you know you, you're, there aren't that many scenes where it's going to be all that exciting to pop back and forth between two widely different foreground background objects. Whereas, you know, you could totally see, like Scott said, capturing a bird or even if you're you're shooting fairly wide open and, you know, you want to just get um, the ability to adjust a little bit forward or backwards for your depth of field. You know, even if you don't go the full light field kind of thing, there's probably some stuff you can do with, you know, just putting a special lens with like four micro lenses on it in your camera that gives you a a kind of a, a level of flexibility that you wouldn't normally have. So, yeah, I mean, well, well, clearly this is an important technology that, 
when I when I first interviewed the guys over at Lytro, it was new and they hadn't even announced it yet. And it kind of seemed like there was for me in my head, there was a fork in the road. It could have been it could have forked to vaporware or it could have forked to where we are now, which is okay. People that I know and respect have held them in their hands and taken photos and are saying that this is actually real technology. So now that it's real from here on in, it's just going to be exciting to see where this where this thing sort of evolves to. So speaking of cameras, um, CES, we're just on the, the, the heels of CES. It was just with this last, um, what, last, last week, right? Two weeks ago, Scott, yeah. in, in uh, Las Vegas, and you live in Las Vegas. So yeah. presumably you were there fondling all the new gear out there. Um, Actually, what I did was I scheduled meetings in my studio and had everybody come to me. It was pretty great. Of course you did, Scott. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> what am I thinking? Why would Scott Bourne travel to the, to the McCarran <laughs> Convention Center when it can come to him? <laughs> Listen, everybody wanted to get away from the convention food, come on out to the nice Italian restaurant and show me their new whiz-bang stuff. Nice. All right. So in the notes here, we, the, the show notes writer put in here that – smartphones were sort of the star of the show there and sort of the idea that they're surpassing some uh, purpose-built cameras. Is that what you saw or what, what do you well, think? Well, Minox, Minox made an announcement they're out of the digital camera business. Wow. Those little James Bond cameras. Yeah, and you'll see more of them. I think smartphones are going to eliminate the $100 class of point-and-shoot. Wow. Yeah, I totally agree. What do you think, Martin? You think you think the smartphone is the uh, the I guess the the Canon? What is the G nine? Is what I still own. There's G nine, G ten, and G eleven and beyond. Two thousand twelve called and they said, "Come on up." Hey, you know what? <laughs> the sun called and it's still putting out the same amount of light. I'm still <laughs> 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 my camera still works, buddy. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm... they've gone through so many versions. They're back to the one again. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You they know, want- see, that's how much of a photographer I am. I don't care. You know, I'll shoot with a whatever, a four by five swing tilt camera. I don't care as what long as there's light. Canon? What is it with the Canon and their proclivity to start over with the numbers every time? I don't know. <laughs> it's not very imaginative. There's yeah. the D30 and the 30D. If that wasn't confusing nope. enough, we had the G9, the G10, the G11, and now the G1X. There's, there's marketing help. So, Martin, what, what do you think about that? You think it's uh, you know, you think the the point and shoot days are over, and it's now time for the smartphones, or what? Well, I think that there's certain limitations. The the um, you know, I, I'm not sure about the the new versions, the the G1X that Scott mm-hmm. just mentioned. I mean, that's yeah. that looks interesting enough, but I, I can't imagine why they would make a camera that pretty much in the four thirds class at the moment with a fixed lens. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing, I mean, a, a few days ago, I've mentioned on this show before that I, I've got an S95. Beautiful little camera. It takes really nice shots. But I, a few days ago, again, because I'm used to a, a DSLR with the buttons and, and anything that's in a menu is in the place where I know, I was with the, the S95 again the other day trying to just take a shot of a, a memory shot in the street. And I... I'd somehow gotten it into a mode where the ring on the front had, was changing the focus rather than the the aperture that I or the, I think I, it's usually the aperture on there, and I was I was struggling. I, I was in the menus. I was standing there. I, I'm I'm a professional photographer, and I cannot take a shot <laughs> because my S95 would not do what I wanted it to do, yeah. and I ended up I ended up whipping my iPhone out of my pocket and taking the same shot, and so you know. There's not much point in me carrying a camera that I can't even use because everything's so dig, deep, deep down in the menus right. that I that I can't. So I, I think there's definitely a, a 
a, a limit to the lifespan of these cameras now. I don't know, Ron. We've been talking about this on the show for I don't know a couple of years now. Just the the gradual encroaching of the 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 smartphone cameras on the point and shoot cameras. Do you think it's the the twenty twelve twenty thirteen sort of span is the time where we're gonna kind of finally get to the point where it's you know what screw it I'm just gonna use my iPhone and my Android phone and my DSLR and that's all I need. I, you know, it's it's still going to be an arms race. It's it's going to be up to these camera manufacturers to put things in there that you can't get on an iPhone. But they have this huge problem of not having the flexibility of an operating system that users can add functionality to. You know, people other than the manufacturer can add functionality to. You know, it, it's interesting because one of the cameras that was announced at CES was this little Polaroid camera that yeah, actually was I running saw Android. That one, yeah. And, you know, I, I think we've all been saying, you know, when is this going to happen? Because clearly it's what we want. Now, unfortunately, it's kind of a lame-ass camera. Uh, it, you know, it's not... Is that an official designation? It's a yeah. lame-ass camera? <laughs> exactly. I, second, I second that opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's not, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I was really hoping somebody would do like a micro four-thirds interchangeable lens camera that, you know, had a decent sensor on it and was running Android or something like that. I mean, this is... You know, because these little camera, you know, your existing iPhone lens is so good, putting a slightly better lens, you know, some zoom capabilities on a, on an Android device is not that exciting. It doesn't really up the game all that much. Now, yeah, who knows? Maybe it'll turn into a little cult thing and, and people will start writing interesting apps for it. But I don't think this is the one that's going to change the game with it. Something could. So I think that's really going to be the question is can there Just be points that- just remember chapter one of Guy Kawasaki's first book, The Macintosh Way, Software Sells Hardware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was the, that was the whole mantra when I was there. Yeah, definitely. So, the, so Scott, what else? What else came out of CES that, uh, or I'm sorry, came to your studio from CES <laughs> that floated your boat? Well, I mean, I got to see all the new cameras. I mean, I actually, uh, the Lytro was cool. Um, I, I spent some time talking to the Olympus people about their plans because I am a big fan of the Micro Four Thirds Olympus stuff. They are planning to continue to support that format, which I was glad to hear. Um, you know, there there's a lot of trickery stuff, but most of it was smartphones, uh, iPad ripoffs, hmm. um, you know, uh, ripoffs of the MacBook Air. Um, you know, there were a couple of new cool technologies along the lines of video in terms of people who need to record audio. But I, I think the Lytro was the big story. The fact that Minox pulled out of the camera business, we'll see others follow. I think the fact that the, the smartphone clones are out there by the millions. And uh, th- there were like 60 different tablets that tried to be an iPad. And none of them, of course, had an iTunes store to go with them. So they're all going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was really not, it was not all that impressive to me beyond that. Okay. Was it, well, you know, we'll, we'll close it with this. Was, was this year, the 2012 CES, a year that was an absolutely must go for people? In other words, absolutely. should I feel bad that I didn't go to CES this year? No, and I'll tell you why, because they quit the, quit having the porn convention alongside it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you stayed in your studio. <laughs> That's not until this week. <laughs> Oh, is that this week? Really? It's this week at the Hard Rock. Not Frederick, didn't, didn't you just say that you were going to be going to Vegas this week? I now, will be in Vegas th- yeah. when this show releases. I will be in Las Vegas. It's uh, and I'm staying at the Hard. No, I'm not staying at the Hard Rock. Suspiciously <laughs> uninformed about what convention might be going on this week. Now I need to cancel my my tickets to O to go to the porn. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a family show. Uh, all right. So let's go on to story number two. Uh, story number two hey, is about... We're only at story number two. For yeah, how long is this show going? <laughs> I know. It's already... We're already 45 yeah, minutes in. Skip the story. Uh, let's see. Let's story number... Well, we could touch on this one. So uh, Adobe... They basically a while ago they announced the, the, the sort of pricing on CS6. Um, is it CS6? Yeah, CS6 that precluded people that had CS4 from buying it unless you bought the whole thing. All this crazy upgrade pricing. So basically, story is that they sort of backtracked a little bit and they announced a special. I'm holding up quote fingers. A special offer for CS3 and CS4 owners to the, to make the upgrade path easier. So the question for this panel. Is is this a good thing? Well, obviously, it's a good thing for people that want to go from CS3 or CS4 to CS6. Um, but is this is this Adobe acquiescing um, to the the cries of anger from the masses, or is this a smart PR move? I don't know, Martin. I want to throw it to you first. What do you think about this? Well, I think that they were probably testing the water in their initial announcement and the decision. You know, they, they were allowing people to upgrade until the end of last year. Um, from CS3 to uh, CS3, CS4 up to CS5 or 5.5. Yeah. And I think that probably what they've found is that not as many people as they'd hoped have, have taken, you know, they haven't been, taken the carrot. And so they're, they're thinking now that, you know, there's, there, there are options. Um, I, I think I heard recently that Corel are back in the, in, in this space and people that, don't want to to sort of you know to to bow to the Adobe way of doing things. Are probably going to find other solutions now. So I think they're probably getting a little bit cold feet. Um, but I I think that the for for myself I always upgrade. I I pretty much upgrade straight away because obviously I'm showing people my screen. I'm I as as a, a you know part of my role as being an educator as well as a photographer is that I. I do share my screen with people a lot, and I like to show them the most recent version. Um, but it's not the case for everybody, and I think it's it's perfectly acceptable for people to skip. You know, if if I was more intelligent and not having to show uh, people my screen as much, then I probably would skip. Every, I'd go for every other release. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think I I think sort of contrary to that. You know, in hmm. in that. I'd rather show people, hey, look, I'm running Photoshop Elements and look at this cool stuff I did with a $99 program. You know, this is awesome that you don't have to spend your, you know, your life savings on a piece of software in order to push some pixels around. I I don't know. Scott, what do you you think about this whole like the pricing thing? And are you are you running CS5 now? I'm running. I'm running the latest version. I love it. But I'll just say that I think Adobe bungled this and. My, my favorite thing that I saw about this was now there are people who are mad who went yeah. ahead and paid the new upgrade price. Right. Who said they wouldn't have done it if they'd have known this policy was to come. So <laughs> once you go down this road, you can't win. And it brings about the old AT&T motto. We're not happy till you're not happy. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just it was bungled and they need to just move on and learn from it. Um, you know, they've had a lot of problems over there. They've downsized over and over and over and over again. I think Elements is what I pretty much recommend for everybody unless there's a real reason to have Photoshop. You're into video. You're into special effects. You're in all this other stuff. You can do 99% of what you need to with Elements. It's very affordable. It's very fast, very powerful. I think it's a great value at that price. Yeah, I agree. Ron, Ron, what about you? Are you – I know – I don't think you're on that upgrade train of like upgrading every version that comes out. Yeah, I usually – I mean the problem with with Photoshop is, you know, it's such a – 
deep, deep package already. And, you know, you, there's definitely, you know, something with every release. You're like, ooh, that'd be neat. But a lot of it's not stuff that you really need every, you know, every day. And uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of like, I kind of have done, I think I'm just on on five right now. Yep. And, you know, it's fine. I don't get into it that much. And I sort of have the luxury of having a couple other tools from, you know, other places that I've, you know, sort of high-end film tools that can do a lot of this stuff too. But, yeah, it's it's it all goes to this really interesting scenario of high-end software in general, right? These days there's so many people are getting accustomed to $3 apps. and where does, where does <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and there's got to be pressure. I mean, these these apps are going to get really, really good. For and they're really app. good, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, there, wouldn't it be cool? If somebody came up with like a nine dollar ninety nine cent app that just blew all the stuff we use out of the yeah. water. I bet it's yeah. coming. I bet you somebody's squashing bugs in that, getting ready for release right now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like for me, I'm still running CS4, and honestly, over the past year. Um, I can't mention a time when I felt well. I'm running Lightroom, of course, and CS4 as an adjunct to it. But I haven't. I can't mention a time where I felt like, oh wow, there's a feature in CS5 that I need, and I'm screwed because I don't have it. You know, literally, I go in there every now and then. I'll do some cloning or whatever, or set some type or something like that. But I don't. You know, honestly, I don't feel like I'm missing CS4. And I'm going to look at CS6. I'm going to see all the great features in there, and I'm going to lust for them. But in practicality, in 2012, I don't see when I'd be like, okay, I got to have that thing. You well, know? if you're into video, Frederick, that's where you would do it. But then there's Premiere and there's Final well, Cut. Well, see, that's you know? the point. Like I use Premiere a lot. That's my that's my editor of choice. And the the ability to round trip seamlessly back and forth to Photoshop for grading and other things is is amazing. Mm. And the ability to talk to After Effects and all these other things okay, work yeah. together now in a way that was – it's unbelievably seamless. And Lightroom, we already know now that Beta 4 is out, is going to be much more attentive to video. And wait till you see the video features in Photoshop 6. Mm-hmm. If you're into video on your DSLR, you're going to want it. All right. Well, you know, I'll, maybe I'll leave my words, but you know, right now I'm just like. Well, if you're not into video, it's not going to matter. You well, I'm getting increasingly into video, but it's it's not like video like you are into it, Scott. It's more like okay, I'm going to make a clip for YouTube or my blog every now and then. It's not like I'm creating Lord yeah, of the Rings not, or something. You can use you can use like iMovie for that. Right. Yeah. iMovie or you know, I have Final yes, Cut. I, I have Final Cut 10 or Final Cut X, whatever they're calling it. You know, and it I'm learning that. I think the really salient point of this discussion. I love Ron's comment about the three dollar apps. You know, people all the time are asking me over at photofocus.com, what is the best of this and that? And I'm like, well, what's your application? And it turns out, you know, they're going to post pictures of their cat to their blog. I'm like, you really don't need Premiere Pro for that. <laughs> you know, there's really no need to buy all this high-end crap unless you make a living at this. I can tell you right now, if I didn't make a living at this, I'd be using, you know, $80 Aperture and $99 Elements, and I'd call it good. I'd use iMovie, which is free, yeah. and I would make stuff that looks 10 times better than I could have done 10 years ago on the top-of-the-line software. Yeah. I don't think people should be th- – I mean people think if they get the very best thing, they'll have the best product. You know, uh, look, at, look at Martin. He teaches so much more about vision, for instance. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing that's hard, right, Martin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's, it's certainly the brain behind it all. I, I, I'm going to just throw, a, throw out a bit of a devil's advocate comment here as well though so what someone mentioned recently about um we were comparing aperture and lightroom and and all of that and that's like the mac and windows thing um and i was i mean i i basically i i have both because i you know i need to know what how how both of them work but my default is is to go with lightroom and 
we were talking about it, and this this particular guy said that yeah, but Aperture's only like what what is it now in the in the app store like seven seventy dollars something like ninety nine or something. Yeah, and yeah. um, so here's here's the 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 thing that I wanted to just throw out there for discussion is that if we stop giving Adobe two hundred dollars for an upgrade or or however much it is for Lightroom, and and they only start to charge us seventy seventy nine, you know, then what do do you think that that is going to st- take their interest in a way in actually developing it and continue because i i can't help but thinking that because adobe are still getting a getting what they want at least for their for their products that that's keeping them in, interested and they're, they're really pushing forward whereas aperture seem to be just making the bare the bare minimum that they need to do to get people to continue to upgrade but not really pushing the boundaries that's a good point you know wait, so, a, minute, I mean, wait a minute wait a minute i'm hmm. sorry Aperture had video support long before Lightroom. Aperture had slideshows long before Lightroom. Aperture was able to make books long before Lightroom. I don't think I agree with your comment, Martin. Well, I think that the you know the books. I mean, this is one of the things that I was saying recently um, that I, I wish Lightroom did have. But I I personally just I, I you know like the the printing module just feels a lot more intuitive to me. Um, there's uh, having used Aperture to sort of go through and at least sort of get a good grasp of the workflow there. It just felt as though it, was, it wasn't it was as intuitive at all. And that could be just because I'm, I'm just used to Lightroom. But I, I just didn't find that it was as intuitive. Well, there wasn't the ability to save presets as easily. And, you well, know, you can't and, even do really presets the same way. I mean, I don't think Aperture's for everybody, don't get me wrong. And especially if hmm. you're a Windows person, you can't even use it. But I just tell people try both. Yeah, that's, my, that's what I preach as well. But yeah. now that Aperture is so much less expensive, I do say that you know if you got a Mac, it's hard to justify the extra couple hundred bucks for Lightroom. Well, that's the that's the point of the guy that we were talking with, you know, and I, and I understand it's a good point. If if you don't want to spend the money for Lightroom, then fine. But it's kind of like saying, you know, well, I'm I've got the money to buy a Ferrari, and I and and you don't. So, so it's like, I, if if someone's going to buy the Ferrari, they're going to enjoy it. They might not be driving at 200, 200 kilometers an hour every day, but they're. Are we no, talking going to for thirty GT or five nine nine? Don't get them started, Martin. Please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're talking you know, guys, I, what I think it comes down to is is it's it's sub, it's a subjective choice, and this post processing software is these days so critical in the workflow for photographers, it's important for you to choose the right thing that clicks with the way your synapses and your brain fire. And it's, it's an easy choice to just download both. If you're on the Mac, download both of them and play with them, you know, for a week on each and see which one gels with you and then buy that one. You know, yeah, it's, it's that, not that much of a price differential, you know, just buy whichever one that works best for you. Is it still possible? I mean, I've always said that with, with Lightroom for sure. But, you know, people say, do I need it? I'll say, just download it and play with it for a month and find out. Mm-hmm. But, but is it still possible with Aperture to do that now that it's in the App Store? Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. Okay. Yeah. So that's certainly then, you know, the, that's the best advice because people will gravitate to what they feel the best. You know, it's and like, I also it's like, think you, sh- you should use the one that your friends use. That's another thing I like to recommend. When it comes to cameras, software, computers, you know, if all you your buddies from- are using one of them, use that one because you can get help. Yeah, 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 but I'm a nonconformist. I'll go. I'll use whatever they're not using. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're using a G9, so what do we expect from you? <laughs> hey, I haven't. That G9 is dusty. I've I've been using my iPhone and honestly my D7000. You know, the G, the D3 and the D700 have been sitting in the bag. I've using D7000. Been using, kick-ass camera. I love the D7000, man. I can't. I love that camera. 
And I never say love about an inanimate object, but I'm saying it about the D7. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, before we, before we move on, we're almost at the end of the show here. There's so much to talk about. Scott, you got to come on more often. We made it all the way to the second story. I'm so proud. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But I want to give a moment. I want to take a moment to remind the audience about our Facebook and Google Plus pages. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can do so at Facebook.com slash This Week in Photography. Or I set up a short code for our Google Plus page because they don't have short codes yet. Um, and you can get to us at fvj, my initials, dot me slash twip plus. That'll jump you over to our Google Plus twip page. Well, that's right. real intuitive. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's easier. You know, I mean, it's better than, you know, Google plus oh, whatever dot com slash an, uh, a 12 digit number. You know, that's horrible. I can't believe they've done that. Uh, yeah, they'll, hopefully they'll get around to fixing that. Um, all right. The next thing that I'm just going to touch on quickly is Washington Post. Um, they raised some eyebrows with an HDR image on their front page, which is, <gasps> I mean, you know, so what, right? I mean, it's an image. It's, it, they took artist license to put this thing up there to illustrate whatever the story was. Uh, but what I, where I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about is the inbuilt camera technology, like automatic HDR and all this auto stuff that's coming, even Lytro that's coming along. How is this going to affect like pure photojournalism? Like Scott, you remember back in the day when, when you captured an image on a single frame of cellulose and silver (laughs) halides and you developed it. And that was the truth. You know, now that's no longer the truth. What's Listen, the I, truth? I spent most of my career doing that. Yeah. Uh, so what's the truth these days? Is the truth gone? Well, I, listen, I think as long as you disclose I, – I do think in photojournalism there's an o- obligation to at least disclose and, and worry about that. But I think every place else nobody cares anymore. I mean it starts – I mean we're going to move way past this conversation in 10 years. Nobody's going to care where the thing starts. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, it's only the photographers on the forums that get in these debates about HDR. The clients love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What about you, Ron? What, what do you think about this? Is it is this is, is the, in, never... the in camera stuff? Is that is that going to mess up with the whole idea of what true photography is? It, it's it's not been the, the truth ever. You know, you you made a decision to shoot on a certain type of film. You know, yeah, and, and yeah. Belvia had a different look to it than you know, and and if you're looking at a JPEG file, the camera manufacturer has made a decision about what sharpening algorithms and what saturation level to dial into it. So there, there's always an interpretation of what's coming off the sensor. I mean, the only way it would be true is if you post the, the raw file from uh, the camera that took it and let people go determine for themselves exactly what, what came out of it. And it may come to that. You know, It may very well be that the solution to all this is that whatever picture they show, they add a link to you know, the, the raw data that came off of the camera. I can't really see much solution beyond that, really, because there's just... More and more, there's going to be, you know, it's not going to be high dynamic range. It's just going to be that's what the sensor captured, and then there's a decision made for how you're mapping the, the recipe, highlights right? and the shadows. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, I mean, Scott's right. Most people don't care anyway. And, uh, hey, Scott, maybe that's a startup for you. Maybe you create a, a website that is a, a link to the truth for each, for recipes <laughs> for all these images, and they have to link to it in order to be like verified. Well, you know, this, this debate is, the young people think this is new, but it's not. I mean, 
you know, are you telling me that the first Ansel Adams photograph made on glass plates where he used a slow <laughs> shutter speed and blurred the waterfall, is it that true? It took a week, a week to produce, right. Yeah. I mean, is that true? Is the, have you ever seen a waterfall that looks like cotton candy? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can go back 100 years. There's, there's never been any truth in photography. There's never been any truth in art. I mean, are you telling me that Gauguin's painting during the Tahitian period, those girls really looked like that? I mean, it's, it's, it's art. Yeah. What about you, Martin? Is it uh, is it is there truth or is there only art? Uh, I think I totally agree. It's it, there's it's all art. But uh, I'm the, I mean, Ron earlier mentioned about you know taking stuff right off the sensor, and I remember ten years ago, my D30, the the raw images looked crap, and <laughs> the the only way that I really the only way that I could make them look any good was to to run auto levels and do all sorts of things to bring out the contrast and and saturate them a little bit. And if, you know, 10 years on, the, 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 the images that just drop out of the camera look 10 times better than they did from my old D30. And so the, the, the technology is going to change. Things are, are going to change. High dynamic range, I mean, this is only at the moment, although it's an artistic way of, of creating the images, and I've got absolutely nothing against it at all. I, mean, I, I do some myself, not a lot. But the thing is, is that it, it's to overcome the dynamic range of the current sensors. And we're already seeing one or two more EV in the sensors now than we had 10 years ago. In another five years, we're going to have many more. And it's all just going to, you know, it, it'll be just a, a, an artistic expression. You know, people will be using HDR more as an artistic expression. And even with Lightroom 4, you can, you can bring out so much more detail without causing grain in images, in your shadows and things now, and even bring down your highlights that it, it, there is no real truth anymore. I mean, it's just a case of, People making a decision as how much they want to they want to do with their own images, based on their own artistic ideals, and you know for for art especially. Um, but I think that even with the newspapers and, and any photojournalism style of style of uh, application, you're going to be you're going to be seeing the cameras changing so much faster than people can keep up with. And you know if mm-hmm. they, if you try and chase an ideal. It's it's a fool's game. You, you're better off just accepting that the technology moves on. Use, I, I think that you, the content of the image for for journalism should not change. If if you can't go like cropping people, um, cropping out things that or or cloning out things that are important to the image, but I think how you enhance the image itself should be totally. It should be fine. You know, just to bring out the shadows on the underside of a bridge. So what? I want to see those shadows. See, yeah. you know, I want to see the inside. Don't see what's under there. I, I think one thing, though, is that the the image that they used, I think it could have been a slightly better HDR. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. I, they used such a crappy image for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the grain in the in the post in the pillars of the tree of the tree of the bridge is terrible. I mean, you'd have probably got a. It could have used a better HDR if they were going to do one. But apart from that, it's uh, yeah, I think it's fine. All right. Well, speaking of HDR, I want to give a quick announcement for. A uh, friend of the show, Trey Ratcliffe, and his buddy, Tom Anderson. You probably heard of his name. He's, if you remember MySpace back in the day, he's the guy that built MySpace. But those two guys are off on an around-the-world adventure, and they're looking for a director of photography and a shooter 
to pal around with them to places like Egypt, New Zealand, Istanbul, etc. So if you think you've got the chops to hang out and uh, be Indiana Jones with Trey and Tom, just go over to Trey's Google Plus page, and uh, he's got a post up there to tell you how you can apply to be considered to pal around with them. No, ex- all expenses paid. So check that out, Ron. I think uh, I think that's right up your alley, huh? Uh, you know, I I, I have plenty of uh, tour guide advice for Egypt. If they want to <laughs> they want to chat with me. I can tell them. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the places to avoid. <laughs> All right, guys. Before we move on, the last the last thing I want to briefly touch on is the service called Candid Tag, and it's a service that lets photographers earn money from strangers. So basically, in a nutshell, the way it works is you're out taking pictures of people. Say you're at the Statue of Liberty, or Scott. Say you're at the fake Statue of Liberty in Las Vegas, and. <laughs> 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 people are having to be standing in front of it, you know, and they want a picture of themselves in front of the fake Statue of Liberty. You have your camera. You take a picture of them and then give them one of these candid tag cards and say, hey, I just took a picture of you. If you want to buy it, head over to the site to pick it up, you know. And so it's a possible revenue source for photographers who always have. with. Have, I, go ahead, Rod. What do you think? I hate this. I think this is terrible. <laughs> No, what do you really think, Ron? Oh, I don't know. I just, you know, I just got back from traveling around, and obviously there were plenty of tourists in some of the places I was at. And you know, you go up to them and you see somebody trying to, to hold the camera out to take a picture of them and their uh, their girlfriend or their wife, and you know, you just offer to take a picture for them. And the idea that now these people are going to have to say, "Is it free? Are you going to charge me for this?" <laughs> just kind of offends me a little bit. You know, I mean, it's 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 something that you do as sort of a friendly gesture to other people that are traveling and, and i don't know i just ugh. i don't know scott Bourne, i know you're you're kind of hurting for cash would you do something <laughs> like this <laughs> just yeah, to ma- just to make ends meet for that ramen noodle meal you know <laughs> that's why i moved to vegas i stand out there all day in front of that fake picture of the, the eiffel now listen yeah. this is i mean where did you guys get this from this is not news there's been companies doing this for 10 years oh it's from pay to pixel never mind that explains <laughs> listen this is there are companies that have literally been doing services like this for 10 years yeah. 10 years yeah i mean this is and, and well you wrote it right here in the show notes can't you just do this with smug mug account and moo cards yeah you can. <laughs> yeah that's what i put in there i'm like I, I, it, it sounds interesting, but if somebody wanted to do this, why you got to put a middleman in there? Just start up a smug mug account and go order some moo cards. Because I was living in Marina del Rey, and there were guys out there that would take, they would just go around on weekends and take photos of all the yachts, and then leave a card on the yacht saying, "Hey, I photographed your yacht. If you want to buy a photo of it, go here and order prints." You know, and it was. I thought that was pretty innovative. You know, as a, like a a, a low cost passive kind of income thing if you're going to be on the marina anyway why not just do that but why do you need a middleman for that i don't know it's weird yeah you know i mean i i get the business model it just sort of takes a, a level of friction away from it but it reminds I, me the guys that want to charge you to hold a parrot down there in hawaii yeah, <laughs> yeah. really <laughs> yeah i mean that's yeah. it's like it's, it's sort of like a bottom feeder kind of thing uh, yeah. no, i've i've done that in florida held the parrot <laughs> Yeah, the guy on the beach, get, you know, got, get, charged us five dollars to to have our photographs taken with, the, with his parrot on our shoulders. And wow. you're the guy that causes this to happen, Martin. <laughs> you're yeah, feeding he, the problem, Martin. <laughs> the, the parrot crapped down my back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's twice I've used the word crap today. Did Sorry, they charge you extra for that? <laughs> <laughs> and we can take a picture of that now. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I'm in uh, tears the, here. That's awesome. The, the one I liked in, in Egypt was the security the security guards that are walking around these you know these uh, pyramids and tombs and stuff. And armed security guards they're carrying their semi-automatic weapons. You take they'll be like, take my picture. You know, they kind of point to themselves, take the picture. And when you take the picture, then like, okay, give me the tip now. You know, they expect mm. a tip for it. <laughs> yeah. And and it's rather intimidating because you know they've got, they got a, a semi-automatic gun. weapon that they are uh, <laughs> pointing at the ground at the time, but so yeah. Wow. So, I, what is it? A unanimous thumbs down for this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. All right, guys. Let's, let's roll through this listener Q&A real quick. I think we only have time for one of these questions. Um, this is the segment where our guests, you guys, get to answer questions that came in from our Google+, Facebook, etc. pages. Um, if you want to, listeners, and submit your questions on Twitter, just use the, the hashtag TwipQuestions or hit us on Google+, or wherever you can find us, and we'll answer them. Or on our blog on, in the comments on this particular show. You can respond to us wherever you can find us. Um, but the, the question I wanted to throw out to you guys is um, question number two here. It's from Anne Davaros. I think I'm pronouncing that right. In our TWIP forum says, I've been using Aperture for about a year and I'm coming up against a need for working with layers more frequently. I'm trying to decide if I'd be better off purchasing Photoshop Elements or if on one layers offer some functionality that I shouldn't be living without. So let's Scott Bourne. You're you're an expert in all three of these, I think. Um, I don't know about the on one one, but what what do you think? Listen, I, I think all of them are good, and I think the same advice we gave earlier: try them all. They're all free to try. Find the one that resonates with you. Find the one that you've got a support group for, where you can get some help, and pick one of them. I mean, if you've already got one of them that does this, I wouldn't buy another one that does it just to see if it does it a little better. Mm-hmm. What about you, Martin? How do you feel about? But learning or adding layers to a aperture workflow i I personally haven't tried it so i i can't i can't quote you know i can't comment on how good or bad it is but i mean if on one make it i'm sure it's great i i do it use well. that yeah so well. i mean it's an option and like scott just says give it a try you can try all of these things for free and you know it seems to be the um the the advice of the of the whole group so just give it give it a try and and see what you like and whichever one clicks with you try before you buy all right guys uh before we move on i want to give a nod to our sponsor for this episode it's brought to you by squarespace.com they're the fast and easy way to create high create a high quality website or blog and as we've been saying on the show squarespace is just brutally easy to use. It's a this is an easy to use UI for creating and managing your blog. It's optimized, meaning it's streamlined for both people that are new to CSS and people who understand what CSS actually means. Um, they've got a bunch hundreds even of design templates to choose from that you can pick one and then tweak it to fit your particular needs and then go from there iPhone, iPad app, so you can stay in touch with your blog readers and update your blog on the go. And plus, I think one of the best things is the support. So they give you uh, personal help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So say you're in the middle of the night, that's the only time that you have to work on your particular blog. You can contact them and get help through whatever issue that you have. So you're adding a forum to your site. You can uh, have them walk you through that particular flow. So they've got things in there like blog modules. They support 
uh, import and export for WordPress blogs, movable type, TypePad, etc., forms, Flickr, Twitter integration, and more. So check them out. If you want a free trial of Squarespace.com, just go to that URL, Squarespace.com. You don't need an, you don't need a, uh, a credit card. Just sign up for a free account. Try it out. Start building your website. And if you decide that you want to purchase that website, just use the offer code Squarespace13 to get 30% off your new account for three months. That's Squarespace.com and use the offer code um, Squarespace13 to get 30% off your new account for three months. All right. This is my favorite part of the show. This is where the ghosts, the the ghosts, the hosts, <laughs> <laughs> the ghosts. We're not quite there yet. Where the <laughs> the guests uh, get to give their pick of the week. Remember, this can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Scott Bourne, you have the distinction of being the elder and the person that hasn't been on the show in the longest length of time. So, what's your pick of the week? You know, this whole elder thing's getting a little old by the end of the show. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, okay. Uh, my pick is unfortunately like, let me think, about 3.2 Alex's. <laughs> but it's very much worth it. The Pegasus R6 from Promise. If you're talking about the need for speed, as far as I know, this is the fastest hard drive array RAID system you can buy without a special Mojo card. That just plugs right into your computer. It is four times faster than anything I've done with my FireWire drives. Uh, it's six bays, twelve terabytes. Two of those are reserved for uh, you know redundancy. You get ten terabytes of actual use. You plug it in. Takes about ten hours to build itself. Shows up on your desktop. And the file transfer rates. I copied a CD's worth of music in three point nine five seconds. Wow. Nice. That's it's very fast. Uh, it's available from a lot of different outlets between twenty-two and twenty-five hundred bucks in its mass in its biggest two terabyte each configuration. You can buy it cheaper if you want one terabyte drives. But if you're just looking for the fastest thing there is, and you got a Thunderbolt enabled computer, i.e. a Mac, this is the way to go. Wonderful, cool. Yeah, this is one of the first uh, Thunderbolt drives out there that's, or at least the uh, RAID arrays have become available, right? Yeah, and you can daisy chain them. I tried it. I put two of these together, and there's no loss of speed. Wow. Mm. So that gave me 20 terabytes, four in redundancy of total storage. And it's just so, it's it's like the first time you use a computer with an SSD drive. Mm. It gets good to you real quick. (laughs) Wonderful. Cool. All right, Mr. Ron Brinkman, what is your pick of the week? Mine is just a quickie. Uh, there's a uh, friend of the show, listener, uh, who, who's gone to Egypt a lot. His name is Ralph uh, Velasco, and he's also got a little iPhone app that I just wanted to plug here real quick. It's called um, My Shot Lists. The URL is just myshotlists.com. And it's just sort of a handy thing for photographers. It's just sort of a bunch of lists that kind of remind you of different ways of looking at the world, you know, uh, little reminders that can kind of enhance your photography and just sort of make you think, oh, you know, I should change the position that I'm shooting this or I should try to do a photo essay on, you know, uh, language differences or, you know, just anything like that. It's just sort of a fun little reminder list that, uh, you, you know, before you're heading off on a trip, you can kind of go through it and check off certain things that you want to remember to shoot as you're traveling around or as you're doing your little photo uh, walk and just kind of you know, helps you get a little organized, maybe give you a little bit of inspiration. So, 
check it out. I think it's only a buck or two. Yeah. And uh, and you know Ralph helped me out, uh, hooked me up with some people in in Egypt. Uh, so he's he's a hardcore traveler too. So it comes from somebody that kind of has been there, done that. Cool. All right, we'll link to that in the show notes. That's myshotlists dot com. Correct. All right, Martin, what is your pick? Uh, I'm going to pick something that's not directly photography related, but I uh, I recently started using a. Uh, one of those geeky headlamps that you, you put on your head. It's got the battery in there and everything. And it's one from LED Lenser or LED Lenser. And I, I I lost my old one. And I bought. I looked into it and did a, a lot of research. And I bought the H7R, which is basically it's the, – the R designates it as rechargeable. So I can recharge it with USB from my laptop while I'm out in, on, you know, in hotels and things. Uh, that's it, nice. It, yeah, it keeps the it keeps the old um, the luggage down a little bit, just, a, just at the, the size of an adapter. But the less of those things you can carry when you're traveling, the better. Um, but the the real reason that I like this is there's a couple. Um, it's got it, it's it's basically turn it on with a little tiny button on the top, but then the the because the battery's in the back of the thing, so the, you know the the weight is on the back of your head. This, the front is articulated, so you can actually point it down, straight down, so that it sort of, you know, goes, the light goes down onto your camera and things. If you're standing there, generally with headlamps, you can move them a little bit. With this one, you can really just point it straight down, so it's, it's onto your camera. You can see all of your... Oh, um, but the, the, the other thing is that it's got... Um, it, it, you can zoom the... You know, most of these LED lenses, you can zoom the light, so you have a wide light or a very a, a narrow spotlight... But then the the best thing, the piece de resistance with this thing, is that it's got a dimmer on it on the back. So you basically just go. You've got like from zero to a hundred percent in, and uh, I, I think it's like a hundred recognizable stages. And so if you're if you're working with you're outside and you've got wildlife around, you don't want to be like using the a, a really really bright flashlight. So you can turn this thing really really dim. If it's before the sun comes up, you don't need a lot of light to see. So I've I've been really enjoying using this, uh, you know, before dawn and stuff like that. When you might scare the birds and stuff, just um, turn it right down, and you can angle it down so that it doesn't go, you know, sort of flash it into their eyes and stuff. Great little headlight. So it's the the LED lenser from um, the the H seven R from LED lenser. H seven R. Okay, we'll definitely yep. link over to that. <clears throat> okay, and my pick of the week is uh, Martin. Sorry to embarrass you, but you came out with an ebook this past week from the Craft and Vision folks called "Making the Print." And I got to say, this is an excellent resource for folks that are that are interested in printing. You know, I mean, the, I think I had someone on the show. I think it was last year. They were talking about how when you print, it sort of brings your photography out of your computer and into the atom-based world. And there's there's nothing. Maybe it was you, Martin, that was telling me this, but it was there's nothing about like sort of holding a print in your hand. You could look at them online all day long or share them online, which is awesome. But actually, having a large print in your hand is is very nice, but to do that, it is not as easy as it is plugging in the USB cable and hitting Command P. So, Martin, you want to tell us a little bit about this book and why why you put it together? Well, firstly, uh, nothing embarrassing about it. Thanks very much for, for plugging the book <laughs> there, Frederick. It's it's very kind of you. But yeah, the I put it together because there's there's basically um, a lot of people are in the position at the moment where they they feel as though 
you know, they want to print. They, it's it's like the years ago there were very few people that really got into jumped into the dark room. But it's one of those things that a lot of people wanted to do and but they're too intimidated. These days, you know, there are, there are great services online, and and it's it's obviously going to be easier sometimes for people to to just run off and and print online, but. I think that it's it's also removing the fun for a lot of people. And so what I wanted to do, I mean, I've been printing at home for uh, photographs at home for over 15 years, and I, I just find it so fulfilling. And I wanted to make a book that made it easy for people to to get their head around the, all of the stuff that you need to know to make good prints without geeking out. We don't really... It's, it's a big book. It's one of their master class. It's the second master class series from craft and vision uh, book from craft from craft and vision and they so you know it's a big book at 65 wide pages but it's uh, it starts off easy and we gradually go in we we cover a lot of stuff from just the basics of you know choosing a printer to begin with you know assuming that someone that people might not already have a printer yeah. we, we start off with choosing a printer and then all of the things that you keep in mind there and then selecting paper, and then in the first half, it's, it's in two parts, part one and part two, we just go off and make a print, and then we start to evaluate the prints that we're making and then fix the problems that there might be. Um, like, for instance, a lot of people have their monitors turned up a, a little bit too bright, and so when they print for, for the first time, they find that they are way too, you know, the print looks dark. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, in, in, in actual fact, it's often that the, 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 their displays are too bright. So we look at things like that, and then we, we get rid of some of the frustration by printing with profiles. And then in, in part two, we jump in and really start to calibrate the system. We, we look into fine art papers, calibrating the printer as well as the monitor, and then all sorts. And just, I even, I finish on a, a, a good, I think it's like 12 pages or so, taking people through how to create your own gallery wrap, the canvas gallery wraps. That's so great. it's, yeah, we really touch on a lot of stuff, um, but none of it is overly complicated. I mean, if someone is, is looking for lots and lots of really deep information, then they're probably going to be disappointed. But the the feedback that I'm getting at the moment is that this is this is hitting the 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 mark you know the spot that we were hoping to. Whereas people have, have in the past been scared away by a lot of printing books. They're too complicated. With this, it's just 15 years of my experience pushed into 65 pages, and I, I'm really hoping that it, that it'll continue to help people. The feedback so far has been great, but I'm, I hope it continues to help people to to love printing as much as I do. Very cool. All right. Well, congratulations on getting that out. And we'll definitely link over to that in the show notes. Um, I'm looking at the show notes now. Now, thanks for the putting that link in there. We'll, we will put that on the blog. All right, gentlemen, um, I'm so sorry to say this, but we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. We just closed out TWIP 237. Ron Brinkman, where can people go as if they don't know by now? To find you, online. you know, you can always find me on Twitter at Ron Brinkman. I'm on Google Plus, but I don't have a short code, so just Google it, I guess. <laughs> I uh, can make you one on FVJ.me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the nice we'll thing about to, we'll make these... FVJ.me slash Ron, and that'll go to your Google Plus page. Perfect. Sure, that would be special. Thank you got you. it done. FVJ.me slash Ron. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, uh, Martin Bailey. Where can people go to find out more about what you're up to? Well, everything that I'm in, up to is linked from martinbaileyphotography.com on the front page there. 
Uh, or you can find me, I'm on Google Plus as well. I think it's just mbp.ac slash gp oh, for Google well, Plus. You're one of those uh, cool people that know how to show the URL. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the Martin Bailey Photography shortened to MBP, and then the .ac is for Academy. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, GP for Google+. And I'm on Twitter, Martin Bailey, all, all one word. Excellent. And last but not least, Mr. Scott Bourne. Where can people go to find out more about what you're up to? Well, of course, uh, Scott Bourne, all one word on Twitter. Um, we're about to drop episode 100 of the Photo Focus podcast next week. Oh, Photo congratulations. Focus. Thank you, photofocus.com. They said it wouldn't last. Uh <laughs> And I do have a Google Plus page, although I have no clue what I'm doing over there. But it's it's plus dot ly slash Scott Bourne. Plus dot ly dot Scott Bourne. No slash. Oh, slash slash. slash. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, you can hang out with me there if you want, but I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm much better at Twitter. All right, excellent. All right, we got you. We'll link to that. And if you are interested in keeping up with TWIP, we have TWIP Live coming out on the last Thursday of every month, starting again this month. If you want to find out and get reminded, just make sure you follow our Twitter and Facebook feeds and or Facebook feeds to be reminded. And just to keep up with everything in general at TWIP Universe, just head over to This Week in photo.com there you'll find links to all of our online presences also please support the show by leaving us a comment on itunes and speaking of itunes be sure to check out the twip podcast app it's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released and we're also now available on android devices if you're on android you can subscribe to the feed just check on the thisweekinphoto.com website for details and finally if you're looking for me frederick van johnson you can find me at frederickvan.com or mediabytes with a y Com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.